Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. I don't know if that's me. (laughs) No, someone said no, so I'll take that. (laughs) Sounds good. Okay. It is good to be here this morning. Um, I wanted to share some thoughts this morning. A man for such a time as this, and I'll get to that in a moment, but I wanted to also tell you how thankful we are for the Martinsdale Community Church. Uh, We're thankful for the churches that God has brought into our fellowship in different ways uh, through supporting the ministry, through sending kids to camp, through encouragement in different ways, and all of that means a lot to the ministry that God has has given to us. We're really thankful, especially for Martinsdale. Uh, There are several churches that have played a role in the lives of our own family, especially I think of my son Mike. So many of you have expressed interest in him. And um, uh, no, several years ago, we were, we'd been serving some in a little country church, a uh, good little group of people, and I'd been teaching through for, I think, about three years through the Answers in Genesis, through the Bible course. And um, I just had a strong sense that these were Mike's last two years of high school and uh, that we needed to get into a church that had a few more young people and uh, would uh, give him the encouragement he needed in a good biblical context. And uh, there were several churches we could have chosen, but uh, we were very pleased to be able to be here. And what a blessing that was to us uh, last fall, a year ago, uh, two years ago. And uh, we we came up here every Sunday and and, uh, we're blessed so much here at at Martinsdale. And then Mike and I took, brought our bikes up quite a few weeks and explored some of the bike trails up here. And that was a lot of fun as well. In fact, this, this year, as the weather got a little cooler and the leaves started to change, I thought, boy, I miss doing that. But, uh, you know, life moves on and other things come into play. But uh, that was very, very uh, special to us. And then a year ago, last December, one of the churches down in our uh, local area, a uh, church that had been... Um, a number of years ago, was actually part of a very liberal group of churches, and they, along with uh, another three or four other churches in that group, all left that denomination that they were part of. They'd been sending their kids to camp from the early on, from the first year or two that we had camp, and they they liked us because they knew that we taught the Bible and that we uh, stressed the gospel, and uh, so we'd had a little bit of involvement with those churches for some time, and. Um, about a year ago, their pastor got COVID, and uh, they asked me if I'd come and fill the pulpit in December, end of December, and I said, sure. And so I was there uh, for about, I filled the pulpit, and then for about three days, I thought, well, I'll be available for a couple weeks. I didn't have anything on my schedule. And uh, about three days after the first time, first Sunday, uh, the pastor passed away. And so I had a strong sense that maybe that was where God wanted me to be for at least a few weeks. And I told them, I said, well, I'm going to California at the end of, of uh, February. Uh, we had to get Mike out to get acquainted with Masters a little bit. And uh, I said, uh, I'll, I'll be willing to be available till the end of February if you don't have someone else. And so I stayed on and got read about the time February was, uh, the date was about to come when we were to go to California, and I said, well, you know, if you need me afterwards, just let me know, uh, and while I was in California, I quickly outlined the Gospel of Mark and gave some thoughts as to how we would begin to go through Mark, of course, hoping that they had a pastor before we got to chapter 16, but <laughs> but anyway, um, we were, uh, I was working on that, and I didn't hear anything, so I thought, well, they're, 
they're making some other plans and that's fine. And got home, I was gone two weeks, got home, and about three days before Sunday, I got a call and they said, yeah, you're planning to be with us on Sunday, aren't you? And I said, well, I, I didn't know, I was waiting to hear. So I said, I'll be happy to be with you if you need me. So I began there and then that stretched till the end of May. And I was beginning to think if they don't get a pastor, how it's pretty tough to keep up with the church and also with the camp ministry. But I was trying to think different ways that that could be arranged if need be. And maybe I'd have a few of our guys who are on camp staff fill in a Sunday or two and give them some of those opportunities. And, and then um, uh, they found a, an interim pastor who was to be with them for a year or two. Um, so that was fine. And we thought we had things settled. Toward the end of August, I got a call again, and the interim pastor's wife had become quite ill, and they'd had to move to a different state where she could get the medical help that she needed. Would you come in and fill in again? And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll be there. So I started at the end of August, and um, in August, of course, we had our trip to the Rocky Mountains. We had a trip to California. Cynthia and I drove out to California with all of Mike's stuff, you know, and and got him settled, and uh, then back, and then back at uh, First Baptist Church in, in Centerville. And um, uh, so anyway, uh, it's been a blessing. You know, I love to have those opportunities to share God's Word and to just fellowship with people and encourage and help uh, churches that uh, maybe are struggling from time to time. And so anyway, so we have not been here. That's my long way around explaining why we haven't been here for quite some time. But it's so good to be back today. And, you know, I was thinking as we, um, as I knew this opportunity was coming up, I was thinking about some of the things that are part of our ministry and things that have been kind of on my heart. And that's my opportunity to share with you since I'm only here once in a while. And um, I was thinking about uh, a little statement that came up some years ago with one of my older kids who was in a Christian college in another state. And I was there talking with some of the administrators, and one of the administrators said, well, we are, we are developing world changers in this school, young persons who will go out and change the world for Christ. And I, I thought about that. I kind of reflected on that a lot. I mean, I certainly there's a, a part of the sentiment of that that I, I really um, uh, I like, <laughs> I agree with to a certain extent. But I, I, as I thought about it a little more, I thought, you know, uh, we know that history is the story. It's God's story that's playing out in this world. And um, I don't know that we can change this world so much as we need to develop young people who are here to meet the challenges that this world has and to watch what God might do through their lives. And yes, in turn, God may change some things in the world, and that's a wonderful thing. But we also know the end of the story for this world and then we know the end of the big story because the end of the story for this world is not a good one. But the end of the big story is a good one for those of us who know Christ. And so as I thought about that and reflected on that, I thought of some persons in the Bible who um, were persons who God raised up for such a time as this. And I began to think about our own ministry, and I thought about the phases we've gone through. When we started out 33 years ago, uh, it was with a strong conviction that young people needed to look seriously at the Bible, and that salvation and our gospel appeal needed to be not an emotional thing and not simply uh, manipulative um, 
uh, program, but rather confronting kids with Scripture. And we set out early, I set out early to, to write a Bible curriculum every summer, which we've continued to do. A lot of years of that now as I look back, you know, good, good years. And I think we've gotten a little better at it as we went along. At least I feel a little more comfortable with it. It's been a, a real joy to be able to do that. We wanted young people to know Christ, to knew, know him in a, in, in a real sense through his word. And really only through his word. That is so important. And as the years have progressed and several decades now have gone by, we've come to realize increasingly that, um, that there's a lesser and lesser regard for the Bible as God's word. Because earlier on, we would more quickly say that the Bible says this, and even kids who are not coming necessarily from a Christian background would uh, often respond to that, to that thought alone. And now increasingly we have kids who say, well, what, what in the world... What does that mean? Why, why is that important? Why does that mean anything? The Bible's another book. And so anyway, along with that, we have, uh, uh, in our staff training, have developed the, first of all, a course built around a biblical worldview. And then as that uh, continued to develop, we begin to feel, I begin to sense a real need to just basically develop a theology course. And Pastor Daniel and Jeremy have been so much a part of that. Um, and we, we appreciate so much their teaching that they come each year. And if a young person goes through that for three years, either on our staff or if they want to come in and are not part of our staff, that's fine. In fact, we would take adults, I think, wouldn't we, Daniel? Pretty sure we would. Any older adults even. I thought of several pastors down in our area that I think would really benefit from this teaching. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, but we want to plant the Word of God, good Bible teaching, theology, in the hearts and lives of, of young people and, and anyone who will come and be a part of that. And through that, through that, I believe that we are doing our part in God's work in developing young persons for such a time as this. We may not cho- change the course of history. We would all like to see some things change, and we may pray to that end, and we may get involved in different causes that would help to uh, preserve our society, to uh, perhaps um, uh, bring a greater, uh, more fertile field for the Lord's work to move forward, uh, however we want to term, term that. But it goes back to being God's person in the time that he's given to us. And of course, that uh, thought comes from Esther chapter 4, verses 13 14. If you remember the story of Esther, she was a young a Jewish girl who was probably an orphan, was raised by her cousin, Mordecai, who was older than her, we assume. And uh, he raised her, he took her, seemed to have a great commitment to caring for her and meeting her needs. And um, she was at, at one point the tremendously powerful and wicked king, Ahasuerus, was um, displeased with his queen. And so she was deposed and they had a beauty contest basically to find another queen for uh, King Ahasuerus. And, you know, the short of the story is that Esther became that queen. And um, along the way, her cousin Mordecai realized or became aware of the fact that there was a plot to destroy all Jewish people. And he uh, became very concerned about that and he right away thought of his cousin who he had raised. He was in a sense like a surrogate father to her, though he was her cousin. 
And so he went to her and he told her about what had happened and what was hap- taking place. And, and um, she informed him that uh, she really didn't have complete access to the king. He was uh, under the Persian uh, system, Persian law and so on. He, was, um, uh, he had the pleasure of asking people to come into his court and he could put someone to death if they came in uninvited. And uh, if they were to come in uninvited, then he would possibly hold out this golden scepter and that would indicate that he was going to receive them into his court. And apparently the laws were no different for the queen than for anyone else. And so she knew that by coming into the king unannounced that she could possibly lose her life. And she told Mordecai that. And his response to her, he said, Do do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the rest of the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and excuse me relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place and you and your father's house will perish and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this two things that I see there first of all God's plan Mordecai I realized that God would provide deliverance for his people That's a universal truth. God provides deliverance for us. Okay, you say, well, what if they kill us? Well, that happens. But we know what the Apostle Paul said, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And so killing us really doesn't kill us, okay? And uh, the world doesn't understand that. But we do as Christians, not that we're, not that we have a death wish, we're ready to just go out and be put to death. But but, um, we realize if that happens, that we have eternal life, okay? So we recognize that. He recognized that as well. But he also was pointing to the fact to Esther, this is your opportunity. This is perhaps God has placed you here just for this time, for this reason. And the reason I mentioned that this morning is because we may see some things change for the good in our world. We could sure stand it right now, but we may not. But God has placed us here And the young people that we're raising up and the young people that we reach out to at Camp Appendus and that we minister to and the young people who come through our leadership programs, we believe that they are here perhaps for just a time as this. God may be working in their lives. Let me give you a quick example. I wasn't going to mention this this morning, but it just popped into my mind. That's a dangerous thing to do usually, but I'll go ahead and, and live dangerously for a few moments here. Um, 30, 40, 40 years ago, I suppose, yeah, 40, over 40 years ago, um, I was working as a chaplain in, in the juvenile probation department in Los Angeles County, and um, there was a young man brought into our hall, uh, and they put him way down at the end of the hall. This is a big institution, 350 kids at low population. We touched 700 at times, especially in the summertime. Uh, this young guy, very angry, terribly angry, 15 years old, big kid. No one wanted to deal with him. They put him in a room way at the end of the hall, and uh, he requested to see the priest, and they sent me down because they didn't have a priest, so they thought that would maybe work okay. <laughs> and... Uh, so anyway, I went in and started to talk to him, and, and his response was, well, you're one of those born-againers, huh? And uh, he was not really wanting to talk to me. So we just, just kind of talked friendly-like. So I started stopping in from time to time, visiting with him a little bit, and, 
And he kept calling me one of those born-againers. And uh, I finally said, you know, Paul, I said, your um, Catholic Bible has John 3 in it. And so I brought a Catholic Bible down to the room, and we read John 3 and talked about what it was to be born again. Well, the short of it is, I didn't, uh, that's not the end of the story. The short of it is God began working in his life, and he was saved, and coming from a large family of about 12 uh, kids, um, uh, a number of them now have come to Christ. But um, I mention that because we don't know what God is doing in the lives of the people that we minister to, but we do it faithfully. And short, short of the story is... Um, we were at a point where Mike was really needing a car out of Los Angeles. He's living a mile and a half from school, and I kept saying, you're, you're a cross-country guy, you're okay. But <laughs> the truth was making several trips back and forth to school on foot was becoming a little difficult, and Mike has some academic struggles at times and needed to be closer to the school. And so I started to think about a car. Several things didn't work out. And I was getting on the plane to go out there. I really felt he needed some encouragement a few weeks ago happened to talk to Paul, and uh, he said, you know, my brother's got a car, a Lexus, 98 Lexus, and uh, it's a pretty fancy car. <laughs> it wasn't its day anyway. 230,000 miles on it, but it runs good. And uh, he said he'll sell for $500. So we picked up a little car out there uh, for Mike, and, and that should take care of him. He's going to be able to, looks like, have a job for Grace Community Church on the janitorial crew. So we're pretty excited about that as well. But anyway, um, uh, but God works in the lives of people and he prepares them for such a time as this. Now I kind of got off track there, but what I was mentioning was the fact that we never know how God is going to work in people's lives. We never know, and it's not always something that comes back to us personally as that situation did, but uh, we never know what God is going to do. So we need to be careful as we move ahead in serving the Lord and preparing young people and ministering to them that we remember that we serve a sovereign God. We can't change the world, but we can be faithful to him. Now, I've got a couple other quick examples, and I'm going to run by those, and then I want to share a little bit uh, with you from uh, Josiah. Think of Joseph, the 50th chapter, probably one of the most, to me, one of the most emotional sections of Scripture, when Joseph, first of all, back in, I think, the 47th chapter, where he reveals himself to his brothers, And then his elderly father, uh, Jacob, dies. And the brothers are coming around and they're thinking, oh, now that dad's gone, Joseph's going to take out all of his revenge on us for what we've done. And Joseph looked at them and it says he wept when he spoke to them. And his brothers came. They fell down before him and said, behold, we're your servants. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. I am in God's place. I'm in God's place. Here he was in this land where he'd been, first of all, a slave and then a prisoner and uh, uh, been tremendously disrespected and, and, and lied about and so on. But he recognized that he was in God's place. He was in God's place. And he said, um, don't be afraid. He said, I'm going to provide for you and for your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And you and I as believers, as we Uh, follow along as we follow the Lord, as we are obedient to him, as we serve him, we need to remember that while we may not be able to change the world, we need to be in God's place. We need to be available for him to do what he chooses to do 
uh, through our lives. Another good example is Daniel. Daniel also was a captive in a foreign land, and, and Daniel uh, lived out his life very faithfully serving in that land. He wasn't able to change the situation. He wasn't able to leave. As far as we know, he never left. But he was faithful there. It came toward the end of his life, and and uh, accusers had brought him into a situation where he was going to be thrown into the lion's den, and, and uh, he, he'd, be, he'd be torn apart by hungry lions. And uh, he recognized that God was in control of his life, and the king came to him, and the king was so upset because he couldn't, in a sense, get out of this situation that he'd gotten into. And he said to Daniel, he said, Daniel, I know your God, the God that you serve every day can deliver you. And Daniel went into that den and, and his testimony was that an angel of the Lord had closed those mouth, those, the mouths of those lions and God had delivered him. And Daniel not only was delivered from the lions, but his life represented a testimony in that pagan court to the truth of God's word. You know, it won't matter in the long run, how successful we are here in this life, personally, or even as a bigger movement of Christians and so on. But it will matter whether or not we are faithful in being God's people in God's place at his time. If God chooses to take us and change things in the world, big things that need to be changed, that's a wonderful thing. But not all of us will will see that happen but we're called to be faithful. I want to take our attention. I'm sorry, our time's going by, so I'm going to make, make it a little quicker now. And look for a moment at a man in the Old Testament by the name of Josiah. Uh, the uh, uh, passage on the back of your bulletin is kind of lengthy. We won't take time with the whole thing. Uh, Mandy called this week and said, you know, I can't get that all on the back of the bulletin. And I said, well, that's okay. Um, there's a lot of material there, and actually there could have been even more. But... Um, but that's okay. We're going to just quickly look through. Um, Josiah was a man for such a time. God had prepared him for the work that he had for him to do in a unique way. You remember the story of Josiah. He was uh, a young man, part of the royal family. It was toward the end of the, of the, the time of Judah before they were taken away into captivity. Judah was certainly in decline. They were wealthy, but they were in decline morally and spiritually. And uh, Josiah had a great-grandfather who was King Hezekiah, one of the revival kings. He did tremendous things in Israel in terms of turning around the course of the, of the nation and standing up to idolatry and, and enhancing and, and uh, 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 promoting the, the worship of, of the true God. And <clears throat> and then Josiah had a son by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh was king for, became king when he was 12 years old, but he was king for 55 years, a long time, and then he died at age 67. Manasseh was as evil as his father was good, okay? Manasseh was one of the most evil kings in Israel. But toward the end of Manasseh's reign, and we don't know at what point, in terms of years or, or so on, um, Manasseh came to a point of repentance. God had certainly um, inflicted judgment on him. And he came to a point of repentance and turned and he tried to undo some of the wickedness that he had enacted in his reign there. Sometime around that end of his life, um, 
his son had a son. His son Ammon, one of his sons, had a son. His name was Josiah. And Josiah was born toward the end of Manasseh's reign. Now what influence that had on Josiah's life, we really don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. We can only surmise so much. But um, uh, finally, uh, uh, Manasseh died, and his son Ammon became king in his place. And Ammon reigned for two years. And he had, when he began his reign, he had a six-year-old son by the name of Josiah. And then for two years, and Ammon did tremendously wicked, uh, was a tremendously wicked ruler in Israel. Um, During that time, his servants in his own, in the palace, conspired against him and killed him, put him to death. Well, anyway, so then we have this eight-year-old boy, and he is crowned king. His name is Josiah. Josiah certainly did not have the ideal upbringing up until that time. The trauma that he had experienced, we don't know very much about it. The Bible doesn't tell us the details, but it certainly was not uh, the kind of upbringing that we we would choose for a king, for a person who was going to lead the nation. But we read of Josiah. Josiah was eight years old. He became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David, his father. Josiah was a man of tremendous courage. And I think that one of the things that we want to be careful or be purposeful in uh, instilling in young people who are coming up in our church, in our ministries, is a godly courage in their lives. And I want you to look at this. Um, from the standpoint of Josiah. The Bible says, verse 2, Josiah did right in the sight of the Lord. Second Chronicles 6.9 says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that, he, that uh, he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. We need to be purposeful in raising young people with a sense of the fact that it isn't the approval of the world around that really counts. It's approval of God. It's approval of God whose eyes search the hearts of mankind, whose eyes see far beyond the exterior that we all present to other people. And so Josiah was one of those persons, the Bible says, he did right in the sight of the Lord. You know, what it doesn't say there is that he was very well liked by his people. Now, he may have been, but the, the, the issue was really that he did right in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says that the righteous are bold as a lion because they, they have that affirmation of God's purpose. And then not only was he, um, did he do right in the sight of the Lord, but he also... Uh, did not turn to the right or to the left. He did right in the sight of the Lord, walked in the ways of David his father, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Josiah was a man who was purposeful and undistracted in what he did. One of the things that I think is a struggle that we have in our culture is that we have so many distractions. You know, we get into our, our car, we drive a couple of hours, and we have something going on the radio, you know. And um, sometimes it's good, sometimes it may not be good, okay? Uh, We move from activity to activity. We don't have those times of undistracted communication with God, undistracted uh, silence before Him. And I speak for myself as well as probably anyone here 
that we struggle with that. Don't you? Wouldn't you say that's true in our lives? There's always something going on. And it's not just coming through the media. Sometimes it's just the busyness of our lives keeps us distracted so much of the time. And it's a challenge as a Christian. It's a challenge to develop the habits that allow us to hear the voice of God in our lives, to listen to his word, to meditate on it, to think about it. And then even more challenging to help the next generation to do the same. How important that is. But uh, Josiah says he didn't turn to the right or to the left. And by the way, that little phrase is mentioned several times in Scripture. I think in Joshua 1, 7, it says, Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do all the law which Moses commanded. Don't turn to it from to the, to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. And then we see the example, the negative example, in King David, who was a good example in so many ways. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But uh, uh, David in Second uh, Samuel chapter 11 uh, chose, he'd had a lot of successes in battle, and he chose not to go out to war. And, and so while he had a little bit of time, he became distracted, okay? And sometimes that's true in our lives, that we uh, don't, if we don't stay focused, we get distracted, right? And um, so he was distracted, and he went up on his roof, and you know the story, he saw Bathsheba, and she's a beautiful woman, and he committed adultery and then murder, and out of that uh, came much uh, disarray in his own family and in the kingdom as well. But Josiah was a man who did not look to the right or to the left. He stayed focused on his purpose. And then another thing we see about Josiah here and the courage that he had. He, was, he had this courage that um, uh, wasn't, wasn't distracted but was seeking the uh, approval of God. Okay, he did, wanted to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then um, we also see that he respected his spiritual heritage. Uh, it says that he walked in the ways of the fa- his father David. Undoubtedly, Josiah knew something of the story of David. He knew something of this great king who was such a leader uh, to Israel, became, in a sense, an iconic king of Israel. Uh, I remember, I used to like to read the story of David with some of my kids that were, uh, we just take the scriptures and start with um, when he was chosen out tending the sheep and chosen to be king and then read through all of the different uh, Bible passages that had to do with David. And some of you may remember Brandon, one of my foster sons, who uh, some of you, I'm sure he was here in church here a number of times many years ago. But... um, uh, we were reading through one one winter uh, the story of David, and uh, uh, you know Brandon, of course, was a, a city guy and didn't really understand the ways of the country too much. And I was fairly new at it myself. And he was supposed to go out and take care of our horses every day, and so um, he'd do that. Sometimes if we get home late at night, he really didn't like going out in the dark and doing it. But I'd go with him if he didn't want to do it alone. And and uh, we were, but all the time we were talking about David and, and talking about all of David's experiences and relating them to things that we were doing in our lives. And, and at that time, the camp just had teepees, seven big teepees. Some of you remember back to those years a long time ago. And um, uh, one of our, we had, uh, with, with teepees always came some extra teepee poles and then some broken ones. And we had a broken one that had about a, oh, I don't know, a six or seven foot end on it. 
And Brandon picked that up and said, that's my David's, he called it his David stick, okay? His shepherd's staff or whatever, but his David stick. So he'd take his David stick out to take care of the horses. I don't know what he did with it, but you know, I suppose if a wild animal came, he could fend it off <laughs> with his David stick. But anyway, um, no, uh, a heritage though, how important that is. And we as Christians also have that heritage because it's here in God's word. And so... Um, Josiah respected his spiritual heritage. One of the things that I think is true of us sometimes is modern-day um, uh, Bible-believing Christians, evangelicals, whatever we, term we want to use, um, one of the things that is true of us is sometimes we don't think about the people who've gone before us. A couple of weeks ago was Reformation Sunday, as you know probably, and it doesn't come on Sunday very often, so I thought, well... We'll just put together a message this Sunday and talk a little bit about the heritage uh, that we have as Christians and, and talk about the uh, Christ ascended to heaven and then uh, 300 years of persecution and kind of the progress of things and the situation that laid the, uh, set the stage for uh, Martin Luther's uh, great stand and the five, sometimes we call them the five solas of Martin Luther. And so I kind of built my message around those five points that Martin Luther made throughout his, um, his uh, time here on earth. And it's a part of the heritage that we have. It's part of what, you know, the fact that we recognize the truth of God's word, that what we, what we have is because God has spoken to us outside the box. He's spoken into our box. And, and, and um, the fact that salvation is only by God's grace. It's only through Christ. And it's only appropriated through faith, which also is a gift of God. All of those things are part of the truths that are our spiritual heritage. Hebrews 11 goes back and reflects just, just a few of the Old Testament saints. And then it says that we have this great cloud of witnesses these people who have gone before us. One thing I picked up years ago from, believe it or not, a, a Catholic family that um, I'd gotten acquainted with, uh, they had named each of their children after one of the Catholic saints. And they said, you know, we don't want our children to be uh, followers of the popular culture. We want them to be followers of people that we look back to as godly people. I don't know if those are exactly the words, but that was the gist of it. And I thought, you know, sometimes we as Bible-believing Christians um, need to be more conscious of that. You know, we want our kids also to reflect back on a godly heritage. That is so important. And, excuse me, so Josiah had that respect for his spiritual heritage. And that was the thing that, that uh, brought courage in his life. And at age 16, it was a turning point. He uh, determined at that point to seek the Lord. And we need to challenge our kids to seek the Lord. So important that that, that is, um, uh, becomes the central focus of our lives, that we would seek his approval, seek his glory, seek to know him better. Whatever our profession happens to be, wherever we serve, whatever we do, it begins with having that courageous pursuit of the truth of God. So Josiah's courage was outstanding. Second thing I noticed about him, his uh, confidence was grounded. His confidence was grounded. And we talk sometimes about self-confidence. I don't really like that term altogether. I know what it means. It's probably not always met in the worst sense, but 
But um, as a Christian, really, our confidence has to be a God confidence. It has to be a confidence in the truth that God has given us, that he has revealed to us. At age 20, Josiah began to be passionate for truth. Verse 3 says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek God, the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, now remember he was eight years old, twelfth year of his reign, takes us to year 20 in his life. He began to purge Israel and uh, Judah, Judah and, and Jerusalem of the high places and the ashram and the carved images and the molten in- images. And they tore down the altars of Baal in his presence. At age 20, Josiah began to be passionate about the truth, to take a a stand against error and falsehood. Now, we're living in a different economy, a different time today. We're not, um, we're really not, this uh, this is not Old Testament Israel, and uh, we are the New Testament church, and our calling is not to go to the Hindu temple down the road and um, desecrate it. That's not... uh, that's not the way God is working today. He's working through the local church. How do we tear down those images? Well, we do it with truth. We teach the truth. We focus on the truth. And uh, already this morning, uh, both um, uh, Carol and Daniel spoke of the fact that, that, um, that uh, we, we wage a spiritual battle. And it's a battle for truth. That's why we come here on Sunday morning to be reminded of truth again. That's why this little podium is in the middle of the room because everything is centered around God's word and the teaching of God's word. And we realize how important that is. And Josiah had a confidence in the true God. Now we don't know all that he knew, all that he understood. Of course not. We simply have the basic uh, truths there. And he began to take a stand against error and falsehood. So important. Well, standing for truth also means standing against error. And sometimes we have to confront that. In our church, we have that responsibility, those who are elders and our leaders, to guard the truth of God, to guard the truth of God. I realize that in our ministry at the camp, that so important that we guard the truth, that we give the right message. And I've seen times when maybe we veered off a little bit or veered off, maybe a counselor, maybe a speaker or something, and we have to pull things back so that we are guarding the truth of God, so that we are certain that our message is clear and that we're not giving a confusing message to kids, but we're guarding the truth. And there are a lot of, um, a lot of good examples in this. But at age 26, there was a tremendously important discovery Tremendously important discovery. Verse 14. Josiah had uh, commissioned the cleansing of the cleaning of the temple. Uh, Apparently the temple had been neglected for some years. They were bringing out the money which had been brought into the house of the Lord. And the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And he responded and said, I found the book of the law in, in the house of the Lord. And he gave the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan took it to the king and reported further the word of the king and said, everything that was entrusted to your servants they're doing, they've emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord, delivered it in the hands of the supervisors and the workmen. And uh, then Hilkiah the priest gave me a book, and Shaphan read it uh, from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes 
And he began to take seriously what God had spoken in his word. And of course, this underscores the fact that you and I need to take seriously God's word. We need to realize what we have a precious gift. You know, in this country, in this um, culture, we most of us have a dozen Bibles in our home, maybe more. Maybe not quite a dozen, but nearly a dozen, okay? They didn't have that. They discovered it in the temple as they cleaned it out, what they had, that revelation from God. But we need to hold that as very valuable in our lives. And so at age 26, they found the book of the law. Josiah's heart was sensitive to God's word, and he acted out of conviction. And we read a little further down, Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes, with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Moreover, he made all those who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers." So Josiah had a courage that was outstanding. He had a confidence that was grounded, grounded in truth. And even before they discovered the book of the law, he knew that the idolatry that was taking place in Israel was not according to the true God. And so Josiah, out of that confidence, was purposeful in destroying putting down that which was untrue and that which was false and idolatrous. You and I have that responsibility in our own church, in our homes, to pursue what is true and to guard against the things which are not. So important. Um, Josiah was, as he was courageous and he was confident, his commitment to God became his legacy. Someone approached me a while back and they said, you know, I, I want to, this person was retiring from business and they said, I just want to now, I want to, I've been in business all these years, I want to now leave a legacy for God. And uh, we visited a little bit about it and, and uh, I didn't know exactly what they had in mind and still don't know if I know for sure. But I said, you know, the legacy that we leave is the testimony that we have as we walk with God. The legacy that we leave is a legacy that's left in the hearts and lives of other people that we have touched through the years in different ways. That is the legacy. But Josiah's commitment was, it was both a public one and a private one. He not only personally walked in the ways of the Lord, but he also led the kingdom that he was a part of to walk also in the ways of the Lord. You and I have that personal responsibility Uh, but we also have that responsibility that extends to those around us as well who are part of our church, our fellowship, our neighborhood, perhaps, our families, our extended families. Josiah's commitment was both uh, private and public. And um, I think of Joshua and his words toward the end of the book of Joshua. He said, "Um, you serve who you want, but he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was speaking again personally and publicly, or at least in his family context. Our house will serve the Lord. And I ask you this morning if that's your commitment. I hope it is. I trust it is. And then secondly, his commitment was consistent. Verse 33, Josiah removed all the abominations from all the lands, 
belonging to the sons of Israel, made all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God. Throughout his lifetime, he did not turn from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. His, con- his, his commitment was a consistent one. You know, in the New Testament, we're, we read the qualifications for a for man to be a leader in the church. And those qualifications have to do with the consistency of his life. It's not perfection because none of us would have that in our lives. But it's a matter of consistently following the Lord. And that was the, the testimony of Josiah. So important in our lives. Um, <clears throat> I want to give you just a couple takeaways and then let's close with a word of prayer. A couple things to remember. You and I cannot change the course of history, but we can invest in young people and prepare them to meet the challenges of our age. How God uses that is God's business. You and I can't change the world. We can't turn our country around. Many of us would love to do that. Um, we can't solve the problems that go on around the world. And sometimes I have a very tender heart towards some of the things that are happening that are wrong in our world. People who are oppressed, different things. We can't do that, but we can be God's people in this place, in this time. All we have is what God has given us. And so we take it and we express it through our lives. Secondly, truth is the foundation for courage and confidence. I don't want confidence that's just me believing in myself. You know, that's a pretty shallow thing, pretty hollow thing, really. I want to have confidence based on God who has spoken to me and God who has revealed himself to me. And I trust you do as well. And then third, redemptive truth must shape the values and the worldviews that we have. At the heart and the center of our purpose for being here is the fact of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Our God is a redemptive God. We're not here to save society. We're not here to save our nation, though we would do whatever we could as good citizens to uh, see the, the course of evil turned around. But we are here to be those who are channels of the truth of the gospel. And we have that responsibility. What a joy God has put in my life by allowing me to be a part of this ministry we have, this camp ministry that we have. And which kids come in, some from Christian homes and background, some from this church. And we challenge them to live for the Lord. But also we have kids who come in and they've they've never heard the truth. I see Caleb, one of our counselors, uh, many years at camp. And I'm sure you have shared with kids at camp who have never heard the gospel. They know very little, if anything, about the truths of the gospel. And God gives us that great opportunity. In the best of times or the worst of times, any times, the basic need of the human heart is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we have that. And that redemptive truth is not just a simple two or three points that we try to affirm. It's at the center and the heart of our worldview and our understanding of life and our understanding of human nature and human need and our understanding of God's great purpose. What a joy 
Martinsville Community Church is here in this community for I think 105 years or six years or something like that, sharing the truth of God's word. What a wonderful heritage. What a wonderful heritage. Let's be faithful to that cause. Our heavenly, we'll ask the uh, worship team to come up as soon as we pray, but let's look to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you again for the example of, of, of courage that we see in, in Josiah and that his courage was a courage that was, ha- was based on the confidence he had grounded in the truth about you, Father. And they found the book of the law and we almost are convicted as we think about that because most of us could go to our homes and find many, many copies of it. And right here in this church building alone, there are undoubtedly many copies of your word. And so we have no excuse, Lord. Help us to be faithful, just as Josiah set that example of faithfulness, Lord. Help us to be faithful in teaching and modeling in our lives the truths of your word and then promoting the ongoing ministry of the gospel. Father, help us to be faithful in those things. We ask, Lord, for your Uh, enablement. We ask for your conviction, your direction in our lives, and we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.